Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL, here with my best friend, Tim Miller, and a, a very good acquaintance, Sonny Bunch, sitting in for Sarah Longwell, both of The Bulwark. Uh, before we get started, go hit the subscribe button, hit the thumbs up button, give us the five stars, do all the things, and don't forget to come to thebulwark.com and sign up for Charlie Sykes' Morning Shots newsletter and his podcast, all the things. We give away all of these things for free. And you should come in and partake of them. You really should. Boys, how are we? Tim, you look very uh, sun-kissed. I'm tan. Uh, a little red, uh, but I'm Lebanese. I, I don't know if you know that. Uh, partially Lebanese. I did not know and so that. My, oh, yeah. So my red will pivot to tan. I also think this lighting in my child's bedroom might be giving me a little more rosacea than when I look at myself in the mirror. A lot of tan, a little red. We'll get to that the at the end. The contrast between you and Sonny, who, who is like Nosferatu, is pretty stark. <laughs> I live in a cave. I do not. I do not set foot outside unless I absolutely have to. Uh, I park mm. as close to buildings as I can so I can sprint from my car to the uh, cover of shade. Smart. Yeah. I, I, I liked how you upgraded Sonny. I call him my friend of me when you're out of the next level and he's in, and you give him friendly uh, acquaintance, which I think is nice. Um, well, I mean, so, the, the joke here, of course, is that I've been IRL friends with Sonny since he was in high school. So. I introduced you and and Sarah. I think. I think yes. I have literally introduced you and Sarah, this and yet I've, I've been supplanted. That must hurt. Um, I've known Sonny since he was in his teens. JVL, I'm so, up until last evening, I was mm -hmm. so excited to see you in person this week. I was yeah. going to maybe see you in San Francisco. We're going to see each other in Los Angeles for the live show. If you haven't signed up for the live show in Los Angeles, not too late, Thursday night. See you in Seattle, Saturday. And then I, last night, I had a dream. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, I don't get anxious about public performance. It's not my thing. Even as a little kid, you know, I was a showboat. I know this is going to be a big surprise to the listeners. So I can't like, this believe is, it. I know. This is not a fear that I have. What? And yet, last night in my subconscious, during my dreams, we were in Seattle at the Seattle event. The venue was very big. And we went to go out there on stage, and you and me and Sarah, and you took two steps and then just face planted. Just a full face plant because you because you were on so much Xanax that you had passed out, and Sarah Sarah panicked about what about having to deal with you, and I panicked about how to make the show still good, and then I went kind of like on an adventure movie through Seattle trying to find Dan Savage, <laughs> and I couldn't find him, and the whole time you were just passed out in the Clonopin Hall, unable to do anything. Yeah. So anyway, I I, I, now I'm a little bit nervous for the first time about the live performance, but hopefully you'll you won't you'll be able to stay upright. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be okay. so great. I'm very excited. So my little bottle of Xanax has things you should do, some do's and don'ts on it, mm. and next to the the little martini glass is a wink. So I think that means they encourage you to drink while taking the Xanax. Is I don't my think read. that's right. Of that. I don't think that's right. Uh, this is the Lucille Bluth told me this. Yeah. You put them yeah. in the bottle and you swirl them up. You drop it into the martini with the wink. Man. Yeah. It's like a that's Xanax right. stuffed olives. That's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So listen, we're going to start with the most important thing, which is facing the Republic right now, which <laughs> is the war on gas stoves. I'll just set the table. I have a lot of thoughts. A Democratic appointee to the Consumer Product Safety Commission was giving an interview to Bloomberg News, and he sort of said in an offhand way, yeah, we may have to do, look at doing something with gas stoves. And the entire right-wing entertainment 
complex lost their minds and then the entire actual elected branch. Now, is that exactly right? After he said that, weren't there also some libs who gave him an attaboy as well? Maybe there were libs on Twitter. I mean, look, I'm sure there was a lib somewhere who gave them an attaboy. I think there might have even been an elected official or two who gave him yeah. an attaboy. This, I'm being gaslit right now on this show I, that I am being that I am being asked gaslit, to co-host. So to speak. You, I am being gas-stoved right now. This whole week, has I've been the flames on the side of my face lady from Clue uh, listening to this stuff. But go ahead, JBL, keep going. So uh, the precipitating event of this is a peer-reviewed study, one study, saying that the ventilation from gas stoves can be a contributor in 12% of childhood asthma cases. And so everybody lost their minds. And the 44 Republicans in the House, the new House majority, went and introduced the, let me, sorry, I want to make sure I get this right, Guard America's Stoves Act. Get it? Gas. Gas. Ha, ha, ha. And Ron DeSantis rushed out to uh, unfurl his posters with a don't tread on stoves, you know, the Gaston flag. I would like to to just set the table here. I myself am an electric stove owner. I have never, Bias. as an adult, lived in a house with a gas stove. I've always wanted to because gas stoves are, for the people who enjoy cooking, the best way to cook, I guess. But once you have children, who could possibly enjoy cooking? Because every mealtime is a war anyway, and they hate everything you serve them. You might as well just use electric. 45 minutes of bliss while I'm there on the stove. It's great. Oh, the best. Uh, I, I would just like to say this. Gas stoves comprise one-third, one-third of American stove usage. Hmm. These stoves are predominantly in coastal states, you hmm. know, where the, the elites are. For instance, in Florida, the percentage of people who use electric stoves is 92%. 92% of Floridians are using electric stoves. So what this seems to me is like a blue state thing that conservatives have now talked themselves into because, you know, some lib somewhere said it. And then some other lib on Twitter was like, I'm in favor of it, have talked themselves into believing that gas stoves are the most important right wing cause ever. And that's fine if they want to do that. That's great. I personally would just like the Consumer Product Safety Commission to come out and talk about how important seatbelts are. And if we could do that so that maybe the conservative infotainment complex could be anti-seatbelt and that could become a cause celeb for them, that would be that great, too. It was a cause celeb, probably, on right-wing it, talk it radio. It was in the, in the 1970s, 100%. I think it is still like kind of on the back burner. Like, you know, we're going to get seatbelt laws repealed. Across the country. So, again, most of the gas stoves are being used by libs in their wealthy coastal enclaves for their Epicurean cookies. Yeah. Real Americans use electric stoves, I'm sorry to say, especially the real Americans in the heartland. And uh, Republicans have talked themselves into thinking that this is now, I guess this has replaced the caravans and replaced CRT. And we have this this rolling thing of the most important crises facing America. The current thing. And this is now the new most one. Well, Fox has 24 hours of content they got to fill, you know? So, yeah. 
So uh, please, Sonny, as our guest. Right. So now, now that JVL has done just totally gaslighting me. All right. So here is what actually happened. What has okay. actually happened is for the last like four or five years, every two or three, four months, you'll get a story in the newspapers about how gas stoves and gas appliances in general are really bad. We need to get rid of natural gas. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for your health. Every three or four months, again, get rid of your gas stoves. Get rid of your gas heaters, et cetera. Municipalities have banned new installation of gas lines in buildings in, like, New York City, right? L.A., San Francisco, same thing. They're banning the installation of gas lines. The New York governor suggested, you know, maybe we should actually just ban the sale of gas stoves altogether. If your gas stove breaks, you should have to buy an induction. You know, they're better. Anyway. Now, is, is that a come and get it situation? Will they You're going to come to your house. Like no, it's not. It's will be coming to their house to rip out the existing house to stoves? House. Not yet, but we're getting there. So, like, that is the background to all of this. That's the background sorry, to all of this. Brief pause, Sonny. Brief pause. Yeah. As somebody who's recently remodeled a kitchen, where are you on induction stoves? Because I think they look pretty awesome. I rented a, a place with a glass top induction style stove that didn't, was frankly closer to electric than induction, but I didn't like it for a lot of reasons. It's super messy. I've told this on one of the story on one of my other podcasts, but I moved into a, a house where like the person who lived here was a professional chef or something and has remodeled the kitchen with like a six burner, not quite Ooh. Viking range. It's like Ooh. the next step down from that. It's like one one step below Viking with like a built-in sub-zero freezer. I've got the double oven. It's actually very pleasurable for me to cook now because I have all the tools. I got all the tools that I need to make gourmet. Governor Abbott is going to protect your stove. Don't worry. The menu style meals. So like there's a whole background here, years and years of studies and stories in municipalities saying we need to get rid of gas stoves. We need to get, we need to ban them. We need to get them out of houses. You know, it's not good. We need to get rid of natural gas. And then when the government official says, yeah, maybe we need to look at banning the gas stoves and Democrats such as AOC is out there saying, yeah, we got to ban the, the gas stove. She says like with her gas stove in the background, all of a sudden it turns into Republicans pounce. Now, I we can talk about, you know, the semiotics of this and whatever, but like the story all of a sudden becomes crazy Republicans are angry that anyone would suggest that we need to ban gas stoves. It's insane. The conservatives did not go out there and pick a culture war fight about this. I am sorry. That is not at all what happened. What has happened is that there has been a steady drumbeat of left-wing progressive activists saying, for years, we need to get rid of gas stoves. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Maybe we do need to get rid of gas stoves. shut these gas stoves down until we can figure out what the hell is going on with them. Maybe there's a magic bullet study that's going to come down the pike and it says everybody who has a gas stove in their house gets dementia at age 56 and we, we all got to get rid of them. All right. Like, OK, fine. Maybe that's the case. But do not lie to me and say that these things have not been being discussed and then say, oh, Republicans are just making this all up. That's what drove people on the right crazy. I will say in good faith, the very first time I have ever heard this before was literally just you talking 30 seconds ago. I read the newspapers. I've never seen any of this. So I'm plugged into this very tightly because I wrote a piece in the Washington Post four years ago. That are you had, in the pocket of big gas? I am now. Now that I live in Texas, I all of my stuff is gas powered. If, if they take gas out, I'm screwed. I don't know how to power things with plugs and electrical lines. <laughs> I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but no, but I actually am very plugged into this because I wrote a piece for The Washington Post four years ago that had the headline, environmentalists make great movie villains because they want to make your real life worse. So That's anytime true. a story like this happens where an environmentalist group wants to pull something away, take something away, ban something, I get 
50 tweets about it. I get I, 100 people are like, look, and more proof. And I, I'm telling you, I've been seeing this gas stove thing for like three or four years now. People have been trying to get rid of them. And then, as Tim says, it's not just that Richard Trumka was saying, oh, we got to maybe get rid of them. Then immediately, like a flip switch that was like, well, if you don't want to get rid of them, then you're a terrible person. And you have AOC out there saying, well, it's bad for your kids. You got to get rid of it. Why would anybody want gas anyway? You've got induction stoves and they're better. And you're just a Luddite who wants to cook with fire instead of using <laughs> the power of magnets. Magnets, baby. That's how. And like, whatever. It's it's fine. Again, maybe induction stoves are better. I didn't really like the induction stove I had, but it was an old one. Maybe the these new ones with the magnet power. It's amazing and it's great. Fine. We need Tesla branded induction stoves to make this culture war complete. That would actually be funny if Tesla bought up all the induction companies in the country. So I guess my question though is, Sonny, I hear your point about how Republicans get mad over the Republicans pounced thing, but that's really what you're talking about is like the eight closet normal Republicans that you follow on Twitter. Right? Like, that's who you're really talking about. Like, they get mad about the pouncing, right? Like, the the pure, uncut MAGA media that the actual Republican voters listen to, they were performatively mad about the well, stoves, not about maybe. the pouncing. And maybe, and look, and maybe JVL is right that these people are all mad about something that they don't own anyway and right. would never put in their, their house. Again, I, I can, I believe and appreciate all that. And it's embarrassing to have the Republicans out there with the gas stove act and the the, the Gadsden flag. Like, this is, this is all childish, embarrassing nonsense. Yeah. But like, again, the impetus of all this was not Republicans just deciding, they didn't wake up one day and were like, you know what, gas stoves are our thing now. They didn't wake up and say, gas stoves, that's what we're going to go to war over today. Well, they they kind of did. It, it's just not, it's not at all what happened. The Fox producers kind of did. I mean, they used it as an impetus, you know, for, okay, well, here's going to be our thing this week. That's, I'm not saying it just started that day, but but yeah, they were like, okay, well, here's, here's some grist for the mill. I guess my question is, you know, and this is, this is cuck Tim coming in, into play here, but it's kind of like, so if California, which has 70% gas stove usage, which Oof. like might be a problem, actually. I, you know, I don't mean in the way of childhood asthma, but in the sense of Tim, like... If we tell the conservatives that most of the gas stove users are actually California libs, are they going to want to get rid of the gas stoves? Maybe. Maybe they went about this in the wrong way from a strategic standpoint. Right. Maybe they should have turned gas stoves into an elite phenomenon mm. you know, that only the Davos set was using. And that might have been more useful than what the Biden administration did. I could appreciate that strategic critique. But so like, let's say the Gav, who needs something to do next week, decides that he's going to ban gas stoves in new builds. And that all the new builds in California will have electric stoves just like all the stoves are in like, lots of the country. Who cares? Why should anybody care about that? I, I just I can't imagine a reason why someone would become upset that a blue state governor would want to create regulations in their state, right? Like, what is the real world harm that is being done to— The goal here is not to ban it in California and New York. It's to ban it everywhere. It's to phase out natural gas in general, which is a foolish right. thing in a country that relies mostly on coal— for power anyway, or relies too much on coal for power. This is like the first time I've been on the idiot conservative side in so long. I, I like, love it. I'm, I'm, I love <laughs> it. Just do it. Own it. 
it's really energizing for me because I finally get to return yeah. home. This is like a center for consumer freedom type thing, you know? I get to be a real reactionary on this. And like, look, it'd be one thing, again, if these stoves are being replaced by electric stoves that run on nuclear power. You put 100 nuclear power plants in, replace all the coal, and then natural gas suddenly becomes much worse for the environment. Fine. As it is right now, natural gas, not worse for well, the environment. We had little nuclear reactor stoves. Yes. Like little, each stove was nuclear powered. But in California, that's trying to move to zero carbon stuff. California's not using coal to power the electric grid in a meaningful way, right? So this might be a fine critique of California. If you're looking forward, it's like they have all these mandates on their electric grid. It's solar, and it's going to cost people more money on their electric bills. That's a meaningful critique, but it's not like California's using fucking coal in their electric grid. So if California decides that we got too much natural gas in home usage, okay. Tim, let me switch sides here for a moment. Please. To take Sonny's point for a moment. First of all, it seems to me that in this specific case, it is not an environmentalist thing, but is a health outcomes no, thing. No, it's both. No, 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 it's both. Is it both? Trust me. Okay. I have several friends in the environmentalist community. And so like Sonny, I was ahead of you on this. And I got a big briefing on gas stoves from one of my venture fund green Full disclosure, what is your stove? Who is trying to do, go about it in the free market what is way, your stove? which you love which is coming up to household items that are more electric funded. So that it is a, it's green in addition to the 12% childhood asthma. Concerns. Answer the question, Timothy. What kind of stove do you have? Uh, I have a gas stove because I live in California. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a gas mm -hmm. stove. And I got to tell you, I'm ready to make the move. So this whole controversy has backfired <laughs> on the conservatives. I, I hear it now, and I'm kind of like, you remember when David Hogg was like, I'm going to wear a mask just to piss off the cons. Like, I'm there. I'm like, we're going to refurb this kitchen and put an electric stove just to piss off Sonny and fucking baseball crank and whoever else wants to get mad. Son of a bitch. Well, no, but that's fine, though. This is consumer choice. Go yeah, If great. you want an induction stove, get an induction stove. I oppose bans. I'm opposed to bans in general. That's what Sonny, I mean. Let me take your side here. The history of consumer products and safety standards in America is such that individual states or municipalities making changes to local laws can sometimes cause the entire industry to shift. California, as an enormous market, when California sets like a, a standard for car emissions, the right. rest of the country. But that's good. It is good. But I'm saying that if you ask why Sonny would care about, you know, what, what does it matter to him if California right. changes? And the answer is that maybe, right? In fact, the, the whole reason we have like, I wrote a piece about this years ago. We reformulated dishwasher detergents a long time ago, and that changed dishwasher design. It was all because of the town of Tacoma, Washington. Anyway, but, okay, but, but this is why dishwasher this is, okay, detergent. I, I want to end this, but again, this goes to consumer choice. You just like if you want to buy a house that has lead pipes in it, you can mm. do that. Just go out there and you can find a house that was built before 1972 or whatever. And if you, but you're not allowed to hire somebody to put lead pipes in. This isn't That's lead pipes. It's if not I lead want lead pipes, I can't find a plumber who will put lead pipes in now, Timothy. And that but choice is It's not asbestos. It's a nonsense study from an environmentalist <laughs> group that. It's about carbon neutral, okay, great. whatever, this is what I, and this they're what I'm like, saying. oh, 12% of childhood asthma, not 12% of children, 12% of all childhood asthma cases. It's like five kids. Sonny, there is going to be so much property in Bakersfield and Fresno that if you want to keep that gas stove, even after the ban is in place, you won't even know what to choose. I can't afford to live in California. Have you seen the tax rates out there? You paid more in taxes on the five minutes that we've been on this call than I pay a whole year in Texas. Worth every penny. I am excited that... Uh, Six months from now, we are going to get a study that shows that when you do party ID breakdown of gas stove ownership, it's like 
80% of gas stove owners are registered Ds. And all of a sudden then, the politics of this will flip. And it'll be fantastic. All right. You know, this actually dovetails nicely because I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Twitter.com, one Ooh. of your favorite websites, both of you gentlemen. Yeah. Love and Twitter. Uh, Twitter was a big help in airing out this very important issue that uh, previously had been under-discussed, perhaps, in America. Certainly it passed me by. Maybe it's because I hadn't been on Twitter.com that I did not notice that for the last four or five years this was a hot topic. Because Twitter is, as you said to us in the green room before this, Sonny, Twitter is a, a machine designed to help people think through their positions, right? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me uh, – the actual phrase I used was – Social media companies thrive as hate boxes, and that's what Twitter is. Twitter is a hate box. It's a, it's a place where you go to find things you hate and get your blood pressure up. I love that. So can you explain to the people where this insight of yours came from? Because it was from a, a recommendation, right? Well, yeah. So, I mean, one thing that people have been complaining about on Twitter since Elon's takeover is the, the pushback towards the algorithmic feed. Now, this is a thing that actually predates Elon. It's They've been trying to get folks to move to the algorithmic feed for years now. But Elon Twitter has made a change that brings it very much right to the front of your home screen on on Twitter. And it's and it's switching you back and forth without letting you know. So like sometimes you'll log on to your phone and you'll look at Twitter and you'll see a whole bunch of tweets from people you don't know that say they're for you. And it's like Mike Cernovich saying like, we need to put all the doctors who gave out the shots in prison or whatever. Did you see Mike Cernovich's pro Caligula tweet recently? I did see Love that. Ooh, what did he say? That was for me. That was for me. Tell me about it, Timothy. It was about George Santos. It was mm -hmm. about how Caligula sent his horse to the Roman Senate and how that was Caligula's way of saying that he does not care about the mores of the elites in Roman times and George Santos, <laughs> our horse. That is what the good people of Long Island were doing. <laughs> yeah, it is our yes. signal that to the elites that we don't give a fuck is a big middle finger. And so it yeah. was it was a rare kind of pro Caligula take. You don't usually <laughs> hear people being like I like was reading a couple stories about Caligula, and I think we should model our system after his leadership style. You don't hear that very often, but and so that's why Twitter is valuable. You know, that's why it's nice to get that Cernovich right into my for you page. Right. So that's the sort of thing that gets served up to people as for you. And as a friend of the show Ben Dreyfus noted when getting one such tweet recently, he was like, the idea that this is for me is the most insulting thing I can imagine. And he tweets out a screenshot of it and he does a whole thread. And you know what he's doing? He's driving engagement. He is actually proving the algorithm right. He is showing the algorithm that these are the things I interact with. And so I should keep getting more of them, frankly, because I can't get enough of this hateful content. I can't get enough of hating. Elon says this directly today. Did you see this? No, I didn't. Chief, I, our chief twit. Here we go. Here's a tweet from our chief twit a couple hours ago. Trashing accounts that you hate will cause our algorithm to show you more of those accounts as it is keying off your interactions. See? Basically saying, if you love trashing that account, then you will probably also love trashing this account. Not actually wrong, LOL, period, Elon Musk. That is the absolute core fundamental principle of social media in general. If you see a thing that you hate- That is about connecting the world and loving and holding hands with, with people from different cultures. Hate drives more passion and more energy than anything else. Just look at me on gas stoves this week, <laughs> finding people to hate for trying to take away my delightful six burner range. I don't I don't want it. I don't want that in my so, feed. Sonny, is that true, though, for all social media or just Twitter? Because like Instagram doesn't seem to function that way. 
neither Snap nor TikTok seem to function that way. Facebook seems to function by putting you into silos that you never encounter somebody who you dislike. The Facebook is all about the groups, yeah. right? You get into a group with, you know, 33,000, you know, true conservatives for MAGA or something, and that's where you get cocooned. I think you're basically right. I mean, Instagram is more specifically keyed to things you love, things that you like, because I think because it's visual. It, it's the difference between a visual social media network and a, a literary social media network. It's easier to read and write about hateful things than it is to see, like, if I'm disgusted by, I don't know, like, dogs in dresses, if I find that offensive to my eyes, I'm not going to look at more posts like right. that on Instagram. But if I find them delightful, I'm going to get a whole bunch of those in my reels. You're going to look at things that you're into, like cows and skirts. I cows, love a cow into, in a skirt. If I'm into dolphins wearing tiaras, yeah. that's what I'm going to get lots and lots of videos yeah. of. Right. Not that I'm speaking from experience. Right. But on Twitter, it's different, I think. Like, you go to Twitter to fire off snappy bon mots and to dunk on people and quote tweets and to get likes as a result and to get retweets. Facebook used to be much more like this, where there was people would, like, show up in comment sections and get into big fights with people. And they have changed their algorithm to do what you say, JBL, to kind of reinforce like likes, to just be like, here's the things that you like and you're, we're going to give you 100 times more of that, which has its own negative consequences in a lot of ways. What's funny is that the Twitter thing which you describe is something which Twitter saw for a very long time as a big weakness of the platform. And... At Jack Dorsey, this was a thing he talked about often about like getting rid of the retweet button or possibly getting rid of the heart like button because he thought that those things were encouraging the sort of, as you say, the, the hate boxy behaviors. Somebody wrote a really good piece about this three or four years back that people say like, oh, it's a human problem, but it's not really. It's a design problem and that the site is designed to exacerbate the human problems, that there are ways, in fact, to design yeah. it to mitigate those problems. It's just that Twitter, the company, isn't interested in that. And Elon is specifically saying that he wants that now with the yeah. More For You page, with that kind of design. You know, like one example, if you wanted to stop the dunking and, and use Twitter as more of a discovery platform, like maybe you could imagine it as more like Google Reader. Right, everybody loved Google right. Reader, you know, where it's like I'm discovering writing, I'm discovering people I like. Maybe this is a short micro version of Google Reader. We just ban quote tweets. Right. Yeah. Done. You just ban quote tweets, and th that way you don't get the people dunking on people, and you can you keep retweets so your friends could share things that you think your friends might want to see, articles or, or funny comments or whatever. And that would be a very simple way to just change the incentives of the platform away from this kind of hate machine that Sonny brings up. And yet they're going the other way. Well, it's interesting, though, because Twitter used to not have a retweet button. You have to used to do manual retweets, right? right. Remember, this oh, is yeah. where RT at name. I'm an OG, baby. Yeah. So like they changed these things. And I think having an automatic retweet button is good. Having an automatic quote tweet button instead of having to do a manual quote tweet, so to speak, yeah. uh, has been the worst thing for the site. It's been the worst thing the site has ever done, because even adding that one extra step of like, you're going to have to go one level further before you can say, LOL, ugly pig to, you know, somebody who says right. something you don't like 
on Twitter would reduce the amount of hate by like 80%, I think. I liked our friend Walter Olson, contributor to The Bulwark, did this tweet. Twitter's You Might Like feature, which is his For You page, is like a high chair with a parent offering me forkfuls of things I've already rejected a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like, Here comes the airplane. Here's more Cernovich. Yeah. Like, you don't think I've seen Mike Cernovich and already decided I don't want to follow him? Like, I, I know what Mike Cernovich is offering. I've chosen to not take it, okay? And yeah. yet they there's, continue there's wanting more to... There's Pizzagate Jack. Yeah, it, it just doesn't work. It's not the same as TikTok. The TikToks for you page is its masterpiece and the undoing of society all in one. Like it's beautiful, right? It's different. And the, the nature of the video platform and the nature of what they're trying to serve you is different. This is not going to yeah. work. But the whole thing is just worth saying that like I will be the last man standing on Twitter. I don't care. I know that a lot of people who really hate Elon want me to leave. I know people who care about my mental health like JVL want me to leave. I do not care. I'm never leaving. And I will be the last person there. But it is objectively worse and worse every day now. And I know it's just to use like a tweet deck or something that keeps you from doing it. But. We were discussing this before the show as well. I actually haven't noticed any difference to like 90% of my Twitter experience when I'm not looking on my phone and when I'm not looking at the, the desktop version because I use TweetDeck. Sonny, just- doesn't everybody use TweetDeck? I was shocked to learn that there are people in the world who don't. Apparently nobody uses it because I keep seeing complaints about algorithmic feeds or whatever and that just doesn't exist on TweetDeck. TweetDeck yeah. is just, it's just, I get my chronological feed. Yeah. I used to use TweetDeck and then I quit it. It was like a personal thing. Like I, like when I was on my computer, I wanted to have to go to the browser because my computer was more about, you know, my time for writing or researching or whatever. My phone was my Twitter habit, right? Yeah. So that, that's why. So maybe I need to go back to TweetDeck for this reason. But I just have to tell you, the ads are so bad now and it's all like far right claptrap that is not just BS. Maybe that's what they are serving me because I follow some of these people. Hate. But I, hate box. Yeah, it's hate box. Bari Weiss, you'll like this, JBL. The ad that I cannot get rid of is this ad attacking Bari Weiss as like a defender of canceling Palestinians or something. And it's just, it has like 10 million views on it now and I can't get rid of it. It's like the, the writer of the Twitter files is getting personally attacked in an ad and I can't get away from it. And then for you, for you page is just a fucking hellscape of all the worst people. And, and now it's on your, the Twitter app on the phone. It sends you there first. It's like every time you open up the app, you've got to move over to the following feed. And meanwhile, the Tesla stock is like having a epic historic collapse like at the same time that Elon is like making Twitter worse. I mean, it really, for a guy who is on top of the world, while my beloved Twitter is getting ruined, I'm appreciating the schadenfreude of it. He must have lost like $100 billion this year. I mean, how much... you have to be excited about this, right? Because you've always thought Tesla was a nonsense stock. So I have hated Elon Musk for like a decade. (laughs) And I hated him originally. Always first on the hate. I mean, yes. Because this guy was getting shoveled taxpayer dollars for his super luxury electric sports cars. And it, it drove me insane. The idea that your tax dollars were going to give a rebate to Matt Damon when he bought a sports car that went zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds. Fuck that. Right. Absolutely absurd. Anyway, so I hated him with that. I hated him because he was always over-promising and under-delivering. This is the other side of the horseshoe, the, the squishy part of the horseshoe, where your conservative I impulses have now overlapped with your cultural impulses. Because he was a scofflaw. I mean, he would go out and say stuff like, yeah, we're going to take Tesla private. I've got the financing in place. Uh, and then doesn't do it. And it, it's just market manipulation. And, like, the SEC comes in and beats him up, and his response is, F you. Go ahead, make me. 
you know, like, like this is not how the rule of law worked. And then uh, he became a right wing darling and I hate him now too. It is great to watch him be undone, but it's even better for people to finally understand that the meritocracy is not like an ironclad thing. It's more like a set of guidelines, you know, like Elon Musk didn't make all this money because he was the smartest guy with the best ideas. He made a lot of the money because the market is weird. And sometimes when you strike it rich early and you get a big chip stack, it's pretty easy to push people around on the board and, uh, and make your chip stack go bigger. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know if you look at the, the forget the Twitter files. When you look at the Musk texts, which which came out over mm -hmm. the course of discovering the lawsuit, that is where you start to to look and say, does this seem like the smartest guy on the planet or does he just sound like another Twitter rando? And the answer is he sounds like another Twitter rando. There was an enjoyable exchange, though. I do in appreciating other people's pain throughout all this. David Sachs is like the. MAGA, contrarian, oh, yeah. venture capitalist guy out here. I hate. And uh, there's an article in The Verge today. Our friend Casey Newton, who writes Platformer, was doing this. And then he has this anecdote from when Elon buys Twitter and he goes to meet with the team. And they're discussing the tech stack with him. And the birth, the source is like all of his questions are stupid and like aren't relevant to like the core questions about the tech stack. But yet he's lecturing us about how he, in the 90s he was on this and that. And he's like, David Sachs walks in to participate in the meeting. And they go, Elon looks at him and he's like, sorry, this is too technical of a meeting for you. And David has to like bow his head and leave. And I'm just like, I love that. I love that he's humiliating these other, you know, VC bros who just want to kind of swim in his wake. I do get some enjoyment out of that. It's kind of like when Trump would humiliate someone. You're like, you hate to give Trump credit. Christy. Hey, Chris, there's the plane. Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, I'm enjoying Chris Christie and David Sachs getting humiliated, <laughs> even if I don't really like the person doing the humiliating. So here's the truth about Elon Musk, which is that he is closer to Russ Hanneman than he is to the Hooli guy, right, from Silicon Valley. Who is Russ Hanneman? Right? Russ Hanneman, Trace, Trace Thomas. Thomas, the billionaire. I want a car with billionaire doors. You've not watched the show Silicon Valley. Yeah, it's been a while. I haven't watched it in a lot. When I moved out here, I couldn't watch it anymore. It was too close to home. <laughs> I bet. So I, so I haven't watched it for like five years. But okay, yeah. That's I, like, I don't know. That's why I didn't do Veep. Yeah, and, and Gavin Belson is ridiculous, but of course Gavin Belson was once upon a time like a genius dev and engineer. Right. Russ Hanneman is just like a guy who runs around with his giant chip stack. Yeah. I love this when he, there's a great moment where he says to Richard, you know, I had $1.2 billion by the time I was 25. You know how much I have now? $1.4 And like, you know, all of a sudden Richard is doing the math in his head and realizing, wait a minute, if he had put this in a savings account, he would have had a higher return. Anyway. Okay. Last bit, I guess the most important bit, I would like to talk about the new college of Florida. Florida is that how it's pronounced? Uh, yes. Where Governor Ron DeSantis has appointed a huge slate to the Board of Trustees to remake it in the uh, image of Hillsdale College, a Christian <laughs> conservative school. Hillsdale or Trump? Hillsdale. Hillsdale okay. is the explicit model for it including Chris Rufo of the Manhattan Institute, who is, to my mind, the most important intellectual in the Republican Party right now. And uh, what do you guys think of it? I mean, I, Kathy Young had a fantastic piece on the fantastic. site, which everybody who's listening to this should go and read. Maybe we'll put it put it in the description or in the comments or something down below. Go to thebulwark.com for more pieces like that from Kathy Young. It's pretty bad. 
I think. And Kathy comes from a very anti-anti-woke place and a big, like, libertarian type, you know, got to shut down the craziness on college campuses. And she came away from this like, dude, this is Orbanism. This is a Victor Orban style kind of thing. Sonny, do you want to do you still feel up enough to be able to defend the conservative stuff here or are you off the train now? Well, this is one of these things where what is most revealing about it is just how small potatoes penny any bullshit it is. So, like, I am not uh, quite as worked up about it as you are, JVL, because you, when you say to somebody, I want to make this other college the Hillsdale of something, everyone's going to look at you and say, what? What's a, what's a Hillsdale? <laughs> exactly. it's, it's not like taking over Yale or Harvard, right? It is making another niche whatever. Um, and the other thing that was interesting from Kathy's piece was who was the not Rufo? Mark um, Bauerlein. Mark Bauerlein. First Things, the Catholic Nationalism magazine. So Mark Bauerlein said in an interview somewhere, not to Kathy, I can't imagine he would ever speak to Kathy. But he said, you know, look, we really can't change that much. It's already a classical liberal arts education. You know, we're tinkering around the edges, but like the core curriculum is basically there. And at that point, it's like, well, what's the point of this? And the point of it, JBL, is with the point you made in your newsletter today, which was this is not about it's actually— nice to have Sonny on instead of Sarah. He's actually read the material. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. But you're in your newsletter today, you made the point, which I think was totally spot on, that this is me paraphrasing. It's only marginally about the actual school itself. What is key here is Ron DeSantis shoring up various elements of the outsider GOP caucus, right? So you've got Rufo, right, which shores up Manhattan Institute, which is arguably the most important think tank in the right-wing world right now. Kessler is the Claremont guy. Bauerlein's the first things guy. So he's shoring up the outsider position. He's giving them jobs. <laughs> he's giving them jobs. He's, he's becoming a patron for these, these sorts of people, which then kind of limits their ability to support Trump going forward. And it does the whole red meat to the base thing. He's like, look, as governor of Florida, I went to a tiny liberal arts school and I got rid of DEI and I changed it to a merit system. And like, okay, fine. This is not going to actually change anything in higher education, but it does allow him to go out there and say, within the bounds of power that I had as a state official, I did this, this, and this. That's the other important thing here is that it is, it's just a signal to folks who want to back him in the primary versus Donald Trump. I agree with that as a political matter strategically. The interesting thing for me out of all this and the fact that they go to Rufo, his first things guy, is just like how shallow the pool of MAGA intelligentsia is or mega policy people that you could turn to. I mean, Seb Gorka I, was busy. I mean, honestly, like JVL, you kept up the grift, you know, and just moved on over to the examiner and started writing about this. I mean, you could be a president of a university. I'd be on that board. <laughs> yeah, you could be a university president right now. I mean, honestly. And, and so I, like that to me is telling. You know, in the conservative world, right, there's always been this like kind of push and pull between Okay, do we need to infiltrate, quote unquote, the existing institutions and make sure there are conservative minds there, you know, or should we start our own institutions, right? And like that's, and particularly in academia, that's a question. But, you know, and you just look at the difference between what was, what happened in like Crystal's generation and the Ivies, you know, and you get like Harvey Mansfield and like these very, like these serious scholars, like conservative scholars that go into universities. And so, 
students get exposed to this sort of thing. Adrian Vermeule is now the serious conservative intellectual at an elite college. Yeah, Ron DeSantis doesn't have anybody to turn to. The whole world is his oyster, you would think, right? Like, he's a leading candidate to be the president. You might be the secretary of education after this, you know, if you take a job on the trustees of this new school in Florida. And he, like, looks around and surveys the university, and it's like, he picks out Rufo, who's like a PR hack. You know, it would be like Jared Polis turning to me and being like, I'm concerned about <laughs> the conservative infiltration of some institution in Colorado. Well, let's bring in Miller, you know? And it's like, no, right? I mean, I'm a fucking hack, you know? Like there are people that have like, given their lives to these sorts of things, to pedagogy and, and who know what they're talking about. And, but the MAGA world just hasn't built that up at all. And Trump so repulsed everyone who might possibly be attracted to this type of thing you know, that all of them has just checked out and said, hey, no, I'm not going to be the Ron DeSantis puppet at this university. To me, it's most interesting from that perspective, you know, because it gives you a little bit of insight into just like what a DeSantis White House would look like. I mean, like these are the people that he'd be pulling from. Yeah. I have to say, I, I find two other things interesting. First is that I think I might be slowly reappraising my view of DeSantis. I had generally been of the idea that, you know, he has no charisma, he's bad at retail politics. On the other hand, he is very shrewd about fight picking, and fight picking is, I don't know, 85, 95% of Republican politics these days. Mm -hmm. He's very good at that. The charisma thing is a problem, but Donald Trump never did retail politics, right? I mean, maybe retail politics, that age is over. I don't know. I don't know. J-Mart had a good article on this today, and I love J-Mart. I agreed with everything in the article with the exception of he kind of gave Biden a little more credit. I thought he was due on the retail side. You know, and the Clyburn thing was a relationship thing, which is maybe right. a, an issue yeah. for Ron DeSantis. But, like, the retail part of it wasn't exactly like – or Obama yeah. – I mean, W wasn't like, it's kind of hard to remember the last time, like Clinton, I guess, is the w last was one. A, who was. W was a good retail politician. People forget, like on, yeah. on the stump or in a room, people loved him. On the stump, he was good. DeSantis's problem is that, like, Trump may not have been a good retail politician, but he was an entertainer. Yeah, right. He could get up there on a That's, stage. It's the charisma and, deficit. Agree. Yeah. And command 30,000 people, you know, showing up to, to come to his dumb rallies. And like, that would then be on TV. And he does not have that which could be a problem for him. But it also, uh, like, if Trump really does stay off Twitter through the election and isn't dominating news coverage every time he utters some dumb thing, I think that that path is kind of cleared for DeSantis, isn't it? The other point that this beginning to firm up for me is that Trump seems to think that all the people that he bought over the last five years are going to stay bought because, like, they owe him or something. And that's crazy. All I could think about, Sonny, was that scene in The Dark Knight where the Joker goes and he's, he's just burned the mountain of money and the Chechen is there. And he says, you know, you tell them that they work, your boys work for me now. The Chechen is indignant. He's like, what do you mean? They're, they belong to me. You know, they would never work for a freak like you. And the Joker says, when dogs are hungry, they'll eat anything. And Donald Trump is sitting on a ton of money. He just sold all these stupid NFTs, right? He's got, you know, it's like, I don't know what he took from that. I think it was like $5 million. I'd have to go and redo the math again. But took a lot of money from that. Why isn't he setting up some bogus think tank to throw money at some of his people to make sure that they stay with him, right? Yeah. Why isn't he keeping his troll army fed? Right. And the answer is either because he's lazy or entitled or just tired and can't think to do it. That makes me think that maybe he's weaker than I, for the last two years, thought he was. 
He's got loser stink on him. He reeks of loser, and that's a real problem. I mean, here's the problem. It wasn't just losing to Biden. It was losing to Biden and then whining about it all the time and then having Biden be out there looking not at the top of his game all the time. He just looks weak and has looked weak for the last, like, three years now. Tim, what do you think? Part of it is he's weak. Part of it is he's lost a step. Part of it is I think he has a nostalgia for the good old days, you know, where it's just him and the caddy. And, you know, stabby eyes, Lewandowski and Hope on the plane. And they're just like three kids in a dream. So he don't, I don't think he feels like he needs to do what you're talking about with creating the nonprofit, but he really does. Right. And so I, I think that uh, like it's a huge mistake. And I think that he's just making a lot of these mistakes now. And it ties into a lot of the mistakes that he was making, honestly, from 16 on, which was this thing happened where everyone told him he had no chance to win. He didn't even think he was going to win. He wins. So he already was just this narcissistic monster, right, who doesn't listen to anybody. Now, after everyone who's smart was wrong and he was right, now he has literally no reason to ever listen to any of these people, right? There's nobody around him. I mean, Susie Wiles is like the person, Olivia, in Olivia's podcast with Charlie, which was really good. If you haven't listened to Olivia Nezzi's podcast with Charlie about what Trump is happening in Mar-a-Lago. Go to thebulwark.com and sign up for Charlie's show. Yeah, sign up for it. So good. And Olivia is telling Charlie that like when she was interviewing Trump, it's Susie on the call. And God loves Susie. She's a Southern lady. Pat Summerall was her dad. That I mean, I, I don't want to be ageist or ager or whatever, but, I, you know, this is not somebody who's in touch with the MAGA troll army, okay? She was John Huntsman's campaign manager in 2012, all right? Like, so <laughs> this is a person that he can run over. You know, he's just not cultivating that. DeSantis is much more in touch with that world, as evidenced by the fact that he put Chris Rufo on, on the board of trustees. Yeah. All right, Tim, I would like to turn the show over to you because it sounds to me like we need to have some talk therapy here and you've just gone through something. Well, no, I don't think it's therapy. I just wanted to close by letting some of our, I know we have some listeners who are, you know, kind of like Bernie bros, you know, and mm. they come to us because it's like, this is as far, like sunny is as much as I can take. <laughs> Okay. All those people just hit the unsubscribe button after my gas stove <laughs> rant. You know, they're not listening to any of Any of you are left after Sonny's gas stove <laughs> rant. You know, any of our socialist listeners are left after Sonny's gas stove rant. I got to tell you, I'm recruitable. Okay. I'm recruitable Whoa. right now because I just spent the weekend in St. Bart's. Are you familiar with St. Bartholomew? A little bit. In the Caribbean? A little bit. It's like Saint Tropez in the Caribbean. Um, it's a French colony. My best friend is an extremely successful eye surgeon. He got into med school, unlike JVL, and um, really top of the class. And he's doing quite well for himself. Sorry, Jonathan. And uh, <laughs> and so he held uh, him and his wife, who's also my very close friend, also very talented in her own right, held their 40th in St. Bart's, which is a vacation spot for the rich and famous. We saw Emilio Estevez, Kathy Ireland, Steve Forbes was on my little puddle jumper, you know, in the airline. Like, this is the class of people that you're dealing with in St. Bart's. They all speak French. It's an 11-mile island. It's just all rich people and the people that are serving those people. But it's it's not like some of these other islands where, you know, there's a lot of indigenous culture, right? Like, the people that are carrying your bags look like they make $90,000 a year and move from Paris just because they wanted some sun. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it is a next level. And we got on a boat. And we're going around. We do a circle of the island on a boat. And I'm looking at all these other boats. And on the one hand, I'm like fucking thrilled that we have been seizing these Russian boats. 
Okay, so that's one little observation. One of my proposals is I think we should start seizing these boats, bringing them up to America, and making them like public utilities. If you want to party on a boat, we're going to put one of these in Tampa, <laughs> and you can just sign up. Spring break! You can just sign up and party on a Russian yacht. That's just one idea I have uh, as part of my wealth redistribution from the Russians. But the other is that some of these guys could probably pay a little more in taxes. That's all I'm saying. I just mean the the decadence hmm. in St. Bart's. I'm sure there's some people there that are really up from their bootstraps type of guys and deserve every penny. But boy, were there a lot of Nepo babies around. And I was speaking with a lot of Nepo babies. But if you tax them 5% more, where's their incentive to keep inheriting wealth? And partying in St. Bart's? That's a good question. Yeah. So How anyway. are they going to afford their induction stoves when you steal their gas stoves? So all I'm saying is I haven't made any deep changes to my political philosophy, but just after spending some time with Nepo babies in St. Bart's and looking at the boats, I'm open for recruitment to the Bernie bros listening to the podcast. That's all I'm saying. Let me ask, is this a White Lotus uh, location possibility? Could this be, did you have strong White Lotus vibes? From it would it? be an amazing White Lotus location. And absolutely unbelievable. What is White Lotus? Oh, JV, we talked about this on another podcast that you didn't know. It's a show on oh, HBO. That sorry, you already seasons. lost me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's marvelous. And uh, very White Lotus vibes. I was playing the Italian remix on our little speaker with people and kind of getting them going. And yes, there could be a murder mystery here. You know, there could be people cheating on their wives here. Uh, there were definitely some, what was the prostitute character's name in the second White Lotus season? Loved her. She was great. She was my favorite character. I, I, oh, yeah. I, it's hard I for can't. me to remember. Maurizia. 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 Sure. Uh, there were definitely some Maurizias hanging around. God love Sebastian them. Sebastian says Lucia and Mia. Lucia and Mia. Thank you. Not even close to Maurizia. It was kind of like Mia and Lucia combined. Thank you, Sebastian. Lucia and Mia. I met some Lucia and Mias at the bar one night. How did you know? A lot of context clues and just their lack like of interest. What? what are your context clues? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to salt their game, but let's just say that their interest in me, like their whole mood and tone, changed once I informed them I was a homosexual. And some of that changed in which way? For the better? For the worse? Uh, well, I, I just I think that the pitch uh, got a lot softer, and they, you know, we we joked a little bit, and then they kind of moved on to other potential people. So it was great though, but and I support them. What you know? And <laughs> Should I, I just, watch this on the plane? I'm going to be on planes for 90 hours this week. Should I watch White Lotus? I think so. I think so. It definitely is better than Glass Onion, which I did not yeah. like. Yeah. So there we go. So that's it. I'm open for recruitment. You know, for ways that we can take care of the Nepo babies in St. Bart's. But boy, it was lovely. If you are a Nepo baby, if you're not one of the Bernie Bro listeners, if you're a Nepo baby listeners. Boy, do I recommend the Rosewood at St. Bart's. Wonderful way to spend that money if you're not going to give it away to poor children. All right. Sonny, thanks for sitting in for Sarah. Tim, great to see you as always. Please don't give me COVID when we see each other later this week. That would be excellent. Actually, we're having dinner tomorrow night. We are having dinner tomorrow night, Tim. Can you believe this? 24 hours from now. I can't wait. You and I are sitting down to break bread. I'm so excited. It's going to breathe all over you. Well, that's okay because I spent the money on real N95 masks, not the Chinese knockoff KN95 mm. masks. I'm just going to wear three of them the entire time because I don't want to get sick. You might want to wear it at dinner with me because I just flew from San Francisco to Miami to San Juan to St. Bart's and back. You have all the diseases. <laughs> Dengue fever, RSV foot and mouth, flu, strep throat, right? You've got, you've got all of them. Thanks for not naming some of the other ones. I appreciate it. 
All right, guys, we'll see you next week. And if you're going to be in Los Angeles or Seattle, come to one of our shows. It'll be great. And even if you're not, go to thebulwark.com, sign up for the newsletters, listen to the podcast. We do it all for you for free. Bye. Bye.